Uh, last week, uh, Pastor Jeff uh, began our Advent series uh, in the Gospel of Luke as we uh, looked at the announcement uh, about uh, Jesus being conceived and born in the womb of the Virgin Mary and uh, learning uh, a little bit more about who, his, who He is, what His identity is as He was uh, revealing that uh, to Mary. Uh, the, uh, today, we're going to consider Mary's response uh, to what the angel Gabriel declared to her. And so, I hope that we learn this morning that God can do the impossible, and so trust His will above your own. That we believe that God can do the impossible, so trust His will above Now, when was the last time uh, we have heard this? Well, Every year we hear uh, these stories, and yet we trust that God will use uh, these in our particular life this morning. We're going to learn uh, these truths through a conversation. Uh, We're going to learn, first of all, about asking God questions, next about understanding God's answers, and lastly, trusting God's will. So please follow along with me as I read uh, from Luke chapter 1 beginning, uh, actually we're going to get the whole context, so I'm going to begin in verse 26 and then go through verse 38. This is the word of the living God. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let us pray together. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When was the last time that God asked you to do something impossible? Maybe never. This announcement to Mary is very unique, right? Yes, God told Abraham that his wife would conceive in her old age, and Zachariah, in this very same context, was told the same thing about his wife, Elizabeth. Those conceptions were miraculous but still by natural means. Mary 
was engaged to Joseph, but not yet married, so they had not yet consummated their marriage. And so Mary, as a virgin, conceiving a child was literally impossible. But Mary trusted the Lord, and she put her faith in Him, but her faith sought understanding. It was St. Augustine who said, believe that you may understand. Now, Augustine did believe that the knowledge of God comes uh, before faith in Him, but faith in God will always bring about a constant desire for us to grow in our deeper understanding. St. Anselm said, faith seeks understanding. And so we learn, first of all, about asking God questions. Mary asked the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, Mary had a very reasonable question. And please understand that though you're not facing an impossible situation like she was, God welcomes us to ask Him questions. But we should not question God. And so we're going to learn first of all about how to ask God questions, but how not to question God. So first of all, asking God questions. Asking Him questions is an issue of understanding. It is not an issue of resistance. Now, Mary was not resisting God, right? She understood normal biology. She was just trying to understand this impossible thing actually come about. Believers want to honor God, and so there are times that we want to understand, what is God asking me to do? What is He commanding of me? Or what is He promising that He Himself is going to do for me? So we want to ask God questions. So for example, if a child was going to ask you a clarification question about doing a chore, and your child came to you and said, when you say vacuum the rug do you also mean vacuum under the rug? And you would say, how dare you question me? Well, I hope not, right? The child is just seeking a clarification question. Is this what you mean when you say vacuum the rug? But perhaps there's another child with lots and lots of questions about the Bible right before bed, and you want to answer them as many as you can hmm, this might just be a tactic with an ulterior motive to just not go to sleep. And so, you answer as many questions as you can, not wanting to discourage the child, and then you say, kindly, we can discuss this in the morning. Right now, it's time for sleep. Now, there's lots and lots of examples all throughout Scripture of people asking God questions, but there's also examples in Scripture of people questioning God, resisting Him by way of excuse. And so we will consider one in our immediate context here, but we have to understand, first of all, what do we mean by questioning God, right? When we think of God commanding us to do something that we think is unreasonable, some of our questions come in a way of resistance, of an excuse of why I should not do what God is commanding me to do. So, for example, the angel Gabriel made a reference uh, to God's miraculous life of Zechariah and 
Elizabeth. And this is the first story in the Gospel of Luke. And during our Advent series, we have not uh, focused on that particular story, but I'd like to uh, uh, highlight that story by way of illustration because we can learn from Zechariah that he did not ask God a question, but he questioned God. And so Mary possibly knew about Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy in her old age, which uh, would remind her of Sarah's miraculous pregnancy a uh, long time before that. Uh, but Mary may also know about Zachariah's miraculous silence. Zachariah will serve for us by illustration as an example of what not to do. And we'll get back to Mary in just a moment. So looking at Luke chapter 1, look back at verse 13. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Then down to verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Now, we, don't, we know that Zechariah was questioning God because the angel said literally, you don't believe my words. And so, how shall I know this is not a sincere question since the angel just told him, right? You will know because I am God's messenger sent to you by God, and direct revelation from God is good enough. Zechariah. To teach Zechariah and all of his family and friends the importance of believing God at his word, Zechariah could not speak until the time that John the Baptist, his son, was born. The Lord certainly taught Zechariah value of words. Now, by way of application, if you were to examine your own heart and think about times when you ask God questions, right? You sincerely are seeking to know a deeper understanding of what God is asking you to do, right? Asking questions come because a lot of the things that God reveals to us are very weighty and difficult for our finite minds to understand. Many of our questions are theological, right? We say, how can God be three persons in one God? How can Jesus be 100% God and 100% man? Why is there evil at all? But lots of our questions, though theological, many of them are also very personal, right? How can God hear and answer prayers of everyone around the world? What is God's will for my life? Or we may ask Him, why would you ever save someone like me? Our hearts long to know answers, and we ask questions. But other times, our questions are doubtful. Right? We are involved in questioning God. We are by nature double-minded. Right? We assume that we are doing things to honor God, or at least not offend Him that much, right? and we cover over our natural motivations with pious-sounding questions. God, what is your will 
for my life. Well, he just revealed to us the Ten Commandments, and he knows that we covet many things. And so he says, don't covet. That's God's will for your life. Well, this was basically Jesus' answer to the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, who said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him and loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. You see, Jesus calls us on our bluff every single time we resist his will. We can ask God questions, but we can never question that God's will is what's best for my life. Mary believed the Lord, but she wanted to understand how will this come about? How can I conceive though I am a virgin? How can the impossible actually occur in my life? The Lord is so gracious that when we ask questions, He is willing to give answers. And so we learn, secondly, not just about asking God questions, but secondly, understanding God's answers. Look again at verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You see, this will not be a work of man, but a work of God alone. When we hear about the power of the Spirit overshadowing Mary, we may think about the Spirit hovering over the waters in the first day of creation. Right? We may think about the Spirit hovering over Israel, overshadowing them with the Shekinah glory cloud as they wandered through the wilderness. This same God, this same power that created the universe by the word of His mouth will create the human body in the womb of Mary, the, the human body of Jesus in the womb of Mary. Now, this was far beyond the miracle of conceiving in old age. This had never happened before, and it would never happen again. I mean, we know the prophecy in Isaiah 7, the Lord, uh, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, whether Mary recalled Isaiah 7 in that moment We don't know. But the angel makes the point, therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. He will be naturally Joseph's son, but God's son. How is, or as God has created this human body in the womb of Mary, he is holy because God is holy holy. He is God in human flesh. I mean, our minds cannot wrap our brains around how that could actually be. 
right? We have tons and tons of questions about how that could be a reality, especially Mary saying that the Son of God will be born of her womb. So to help Mary try to grasp these things, the angel reminded her in verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this in the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. God did a miracle with Sarah, but she is not a mere legend, Mary. The same miracle is happening in your own day with your own relative. Look at how God helps Mary try to grasp these things by providing this type of revelation in her life. God's grace and His patience toward her is overwhelming because He knows we are finite creatures that just want to understand what He is doing in our lives. But most of the time, we will not understand to the extent that we would like to, right? The more we understand, the more we feel in control. The less we understand, the more we worry and we fret. And so, when we think about the way the Lord works, I just want you to imagine flying, an air, flying in an airplane and you find out that the pilot and the co-pilot ate some bad fish, and so they're out of the game. No one on the plane knows what to do, and so they ask you to take this pilot's seat and to uh, listen to the air traffic control instruct you how to come and land that plane. And so not wanting to die, you say, okay, I'll do it. And you enter into the cockpit and you just see a wall of gauges and controls that you have no clue what to do with, but you know they're really, really important. And so the air traffic controller helps you to at least understand the controls that you need and what to do with them, and then by God's grace you land safely. The Lord sometimes puts us in very stressful circumstances so that we can learn to trust in Him. He is always the controller of our lives. He talks us through various situations with just the information that we need, not necessarily everything we want to know. We get stressed because we want to be in more control than we really are. We want more information. We want to know why this is like this and how this is like that. And why are you doing it like this, O Lord? Now, we often fool ourselves into thinking that we're more in control than we really are. And so, again, by way of application, when you are in pursuit of understanding, is it for wisdom? Or when you are in pursuit of understanding, is it actually the idol of control that is driving you? Let's compare those two for a moment, considering first wisdom, right? Our pursuit of understanding is wisdom when we are seeking the glory of God above self. Very clear is Proverbs chapter 2. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. 
For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. But if we seek understanding merely to maintain the facade of our own control, then that is idolatry. Proverbs 3 addresses this one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Look at the humongous distinction between these two different types of understanding. Understanding provided by God's grace and understanding that is my own power, your own understanding, understanding that's limited to what you think is what's best. And so the question we have to ask ourselves is, what is my heart's chief desire? Is it to do God's will, or is it for Him to do mine? And so as we think about the Lord helping us, you know, showing us that we are by nature self-centered creatures, we need His grace, we need His help to put off our self-trust by learning, thirdly, to trust God's will. First, we ask God questions. Second, we understand God's answers. And lastly, trust God's will. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now, if you've been in church for any time at all, and you've been at church during you've heard this text preached before. And how many times have you heard this text preached where it's all about how awesome Mary's faith is? I mean, we just stand back in awe of her faith. Those, what would Mary do sermons? Not the point of the text. That is not what God revealed to Luke to share with us this morning. That is not the focus. We are going to be the most encouraged if we understand what Mary is not rather than assuming God chose her because she's better. Mary was a nobody. We're not given any history about her in Scripture at all. She was a young, insignificant girl from a nowhere town called Nazareth. I mean, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel asked. God doesn't find greatness and give us jobs. He finds weakness and makes us great so that He gets all the glory. And so as we think about the Spirit at work in her life, it is only by the grace of God that she could be given the faith to say, I am the servant of of the Lord. Now, this title was given to Moses many, many times. There's like 10 or 15 times in Scripture that the servant of the Lord is a title reference to Moses. It's given twice to Joshua and twice to David in Psalm 18 and Psalm 36. Mary was given the faith to understand that her life is not her own. 
we are told the very same thing as those who believe that we were purchased by the sacrifice of Christ. Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. By the faith that the Spirit gave to her, Mary realized it's not about her body. Her body is not her own. If the Lord wants her to house the conception and the development of the Son of God, then that is God's will for her life. And she famously responded, let it be to me according to your word. This is the most faithful response any believer could ever give God to anything he ever asks us or commands us to do. Taking God at his word is the essence of the Christian faith. Eve didn't do it, right? If Eve would have taken God at his word, then she wouldn't have been tempted by the serpent. If Adam took God at his word, he would have protected his wife from the serpent, first of all, and he wouldn't have followed her into sin, second of all. All throughout scriptures, we see example after example of people questioning God. What about Gideon? Right? He's a famous example. Right? How many people say, I'm, I'm searching after God's will, I need to put out a fleece? You know how arrogant... It was for Gideon to expect the God of the universe to do parlor tricks before he would believe him at his word. It is not an what to do. It is not obedience. It is not wisdom is understanding enough to obey God. Faith is trusting God's will is greater than my will. Yes, Mary did that, but not because she's better. Only by the grace given to her could she ever say what she said or do what she did. So for us to celebrate Mary more than the grace of God given to her, it's kind of like the donkey Right? that Jesus rode into Jerusalem and everybody is cheering and so excited and the donkey's just saying, oh, wow, <laughs> I didn't know. You know. They're just so excited about me. I mean, that's what it's like if we put all the focus on her. She is just a servant of the Lord. The focus is upon what God is doing in this insignificant sinner's life. I mean, we are by nature self-centered. We want the story to always be about me. And so by God's grace is the only way that we can recognize that he can even use weak and insignificant sinners like us. Because I hope you understand by way of application that the flip side of the coin also applies. For us to say, Oh God, you can't use a weak and insignificant sinner like me. Oh, that is the epitome of pride, not humility. Anytime you put the words together, God can't, it should catch right in our throat 
for the lie that it is. Nothing will be impossible with God. Now, God is all about using what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Now, God may not ask you to be a vessel, right, to, for Him to conceive the Son of God in you. I mean, especially if you're male. That, I don't even want to think about that kind of a miracle. But there's times when we feel like God is calling me to do the impossible. I mean, that's how we perceive it, right? For example, we prayed the Lord's Prayer earlier. Jesus trained us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the heart of faith. And yet, Trusting God's will over my will is one of the most impossible things in my life. And yet, that's what I'm supposed to be praying. But then he taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Are you content with just your daily bread? How the rich young ruler do with that? Sell all that you have. All that you need is your daily bread. How would you do if he gave you that same command? Sell all that you have and come follow me. None of us are satisfied with only our daily bread. One of the most impossible things is that we be content with what we already have and not continually seek more and more and more. But if you don't think that's a big deal, then we have to pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I don't know what kind of bullying you've experienced. I don't know what kind of abuse you have gone through. I don't know what kind of injustices you have experienced in your life, but God telling us in this prayer for us to ask Him to forgive us in the same way we forgive our tormentor feels impossible. And yet, that is God's will for you. We then pray, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I don't know what addictions you have. Maybe it's to alcohol or sugar. Or maybe it's your phone or porn. Or maybe it's shopping or sports. Whatever it might be. We all know that moment when your temptation is speaking to your heart. When it is demanding of you, follow me. Do you really believe that in that moment, God can enable you to run from temptation? It feels impossible. But by faith, all things are possible. The power to run from temptation can only come from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was tempted, tempted to turn away from God's will, what he was called to do. And so he was contemplating the full wrath 
of his father being poured out upon him, the wrath that his enemies deserve, he was about to take upon himself. Yes, we are naturally his enemies because we have rebelled against his authority, and in thanks for all of his love, grace, and his humility, we put him on the cross. Yes, we are his enemies by nature. And so he cried out to his father in Luke 22, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup of wrath from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Mary was given a Christ-like faith by grace alone so that all things might be to the glory of God alone. But think about how Jesus felt in that moment. I mean, wasn't he there when this plan was made? I mean, couldn't he have established way back in eternity that he could have just said no? Well, he wasn't forced. He chose this path. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make his power known, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Mary did not deserve to have God choose her for this role. You don't deserve Any of the roles that you serve in as parent or child or friend or spouse or teacher or pastor or counselor. But God will give you the grace to do what you feel is impossible because it is God's will for you. He'll give you the faith of Christ that he has revealed to be his will for you so that you can become the servant of the Lord in every one of those sermon series on its own. How can you be the servant of the Lord in all these roles in your life? He'll give you just enough understanding to obey him so that you can respond, your will be done. And therefore, he will get all the glory. Amen. Most gracious Heavenly Father, as we acknowledge what you are doing in our lives is so far beyond our full comprehension, thank you for showing us something. Thank you for giving us revelation so that we can try to relate as much as we can to Mary, who was in an incredibly unique circumstance that no one before her had experienced, no one after her has ever experienced, and yet by your infinite grace, Lord, she trusted you. And how difficult we have in the most mundane tasks to trust you. Lord, we need your grace. We depend upon it through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only one who can give it to us by the power of your Spirit. And we pray that as we come to your table, that we might celebrate that grace because it is real. It is as real as the bread and the cup. It is as real as your presence with us. And that grace is at work to make us like Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.